you ever had one of those days where everything seemed to be going wrong? You know those kind of days? It starts usually by losing an hour's sleep, doesn't it? And then it just carries on from there. Those days where you get up and you, you have that kind of sense that when the first thing goes wrong, that it's just going to keep on escalating after that. You don't get to that first thing and go wrong and go, well, that's it done for the day. The rest of the day is going to be fantastic. You go, oh my goodness, it's going to be one of those days. It's that Monday feeling. And when you think about what you feel like when that happens, there's that sense of foreboding about, well, what's the next thing? What's the next thing that's going to happen? Surely there can't be any more. And you get to lunchtime and you think, that's got to be it. Surely this morning's just been a write-off. And then you get into the afternoon and sometimes it just gets worse. Well, in our reading today, that's probably how the disciples are feeling. If you think about how you feel in those moments, just try and put yourself in the place of the disciples. If you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 14. We've been looking together at Jesus and his words, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth and the life that we're looking at today. I am the vine, you're the branches. There are seven times he says, I am. He links himself to God. Remember back in the burning bush, Moses is standing there and says to the God who is there in the bush, he says, who shall I say? And God says, I am has sent me. And so when Jesus says, I am, and then puts all these caveats on it, he's saying, I am God, and this is part of my character. And we've been looking at that together as we've traveled through Lent. So let's pray before we read. Lord, as we read again from your word today, we ask that you would speak to us. That it would be your words that we hear. Lord, you know where we are. You know what you want to say to each one of us. So speak, because your children are listening. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. John 14 starts with a very familiar passage to us. We read it so often of funerals. But before we get into John 14, we need to look back a little bit, a couple of chapters. In John 11, we find there Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Here you are as a disciple of Jesus, you're following him, and you see Jesus call one of his friends out who is dead. People are mourning, they're weeping. Why didn't you come sooner? And he says, don't worry, he's just sleeping. Let me call him out. And Lazarus comes out after being dead for a few days. And then in chapter 12, we get Jesus anointed at Bethany, and then he goes in as we celebrate today with our palm branches. He goes into Jerusalem in the height of popularity. Here he is riding on the donkey. Everybody's waving. It's celebration time. It's, it's, the palm branches are going down. They've, they've wrecked all the local trees just to get something that they can wave and, and, and have a party. And Jesus is riding in, finally, finally he's arrived in Jerusalem. Now let's see what's going to happen. He cleans out the temple, and look in verse 19 of chapter 12. It says, so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. 
Look how the whole world has gone after him. So you've got the Pharisees who are plotting against Jesus and they're suddenly realising and seeing his popularity and saying, this is, this is just going nowhere. This guy, like everybody's following in, everybody thinks he's amazing. And from there we then go into the upper room where they celebrate together the Passover feast. In chapter 13 of John's Gospel, he washes their disciples' feet. And then he prepares them through his words for what is going to lie ahead. And so the disciples have come from this massive roller coaster of a ride. They recognize that there are enemies, but they see also the, the joy and the, the crowds and, and everybody else. But then they realize the crowds are disappearing away from Jesus during that week. And they're upstairs together. And Jesus is talking about his death. And they're going, how can this be? This doesn't make sense. I don't understand. And they're there with the trouble in their heart. And Jesus himself knows what's going to happen. He knows what's ahead. And so he comes and he comforts his disciples. Martin Luther described the reading that we're going to read together in a moment as the best and most comforting sermon that the Lord Jesus Christ delivered on earth. He said, It's a treasure and a jewel not to be purchased with the world's goods. So let's read John 14, beginning at verse 1. He said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The first thing Jesus says is, when we have trouble, when, we, when things are going wrong about us, what do we do? Well, he says, first of all, trust in his leading. I am the way, he says. In other words, he's going ahead of us, he's showing us the way that we need to go. Have you ever been in that situation where you've asked for directions, must have done, and then you wish you'd never asked? Because they know, and they go, right, you go down here, and then when you get to this tall white building, you turn on the left there, and then you go like three, 300 yards down that way, and then you go right, and then a left really quickly after that. Then you go through this narrow little alleyway. When you get to the end of the alleyway, and you're just, at this point, you're going like, I shouldn't have asked. Because <laughs> you know that, and then they say, have you got it? And then they repeat it all over again. And you just think, oh, I can't even, okay, so I go that way. And then you just head off in that direction because that's the only thing that you can remember. Or have you ever been in that situation where somebody has asked you for directions, that you've told them the directions because you get into a bit of a fluster, don't you? How do you get from here to St. John's Green Hill? Well, you kind of, and then you you kind of tell them and and you, you go, I know how to get there, but trying to describe that to someone else with landmarks about where you've got to turn and, what, and, and then road names just go out of your head altogether. 
And then they say, thank you very much. They go off. And have you ever been in that situation where you suddenly realize, hang on a minute, I think I've told them wrong. <laughs> and then you have to go and hide because you're worried they're going to come back and sort of find you and say, oi, you didn't tell me the right way. Jesus is saying, I am the way. In other words, he's saying, I'm, I'm the way that can show you the direction that you need to go. I had a wonderful story about a farmer standing there by his gate, just looking out, and there was a, a hiker that came along. And the hiker stopped at the farmer and said, excuse me, is this the right way to the, the next village down here? And the farmer said, sure, it is, just keep going down that way. And the hiker said, well, how, how long is it going to take before I get there? And there was no response. He said, how, how long is it going to take for me to get to the next village? Nothing. He said, hello? How, how long is it going to... Nothing. And the guy gave up and started walking. And then the farmer shouts out, 20 minutes. And the guy said, well, why did you... Why, why couldn't you just told me that in the first place? And the farmer said, I didn't know how fast you walked. <laughs> Jesus said, I am the way. Now, when he says that, look at what he says. He says, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm going to come back and take you to be with me. Now, there's a radical difference between somebody asking someone the way or asking someone who's already been there. If somebody asks you what's the way to get to somewhere that you know, you, you can say it with confidence because you've been there many times. If you ask me what's the way to get to the manse of the church, I can tell you exactly. I've been there. Done this journey thousands of times. So I know exactly the way. I, I can describe it in detail. But if you ask me the way to go to somewhere where I've not been before, then that's a different story. That gets far more complicated. But with Jesus, we said, he says to us, I'm going. I'm going ahead of you so that when you ask me what's the way to go, I'm going to tell you because I've already been there. I've already done it. And not only that, I'm going to come back if we let him, he says in verse 3, and I'm going to take you there myself. There's a lot more confidence when somebody is walking with you. How do you get to St. John's Greenhill? If I tell you the directions, you'll probably get lost if you didn't know how to get there. But if I say, come with me, I know the way. It's far easier, isn't it? Because you then trust that I'm going there. You can tell whether I, it's misplaced trust or not if we get there. And you, you know that I'm confident because I'm taking you with me. And it's the same with Jesus. He says, when you're in trouble, trust me. Trust that I know the way through these situations. Trust that I am leading you in the direction that I want you to go. I'm going to show you. I'm going to journey with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to just give you a road map and say, here you go. Get on with it. It's not like a maze that you have to work your way through. He said, I'm going to be here right next to you and I'm going to come and take you to where I want you to be. And ultimately, that is to go and be with him. 
be in his kingdom. And part of us is already there. The Bible says our names are written in the book. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's the place where our heavenly father and our co-heir, our brother, Jesus Christ, is already there. It's where our spiritual home is. It's our inheritance, our reward. And our family of all our brothers and sisters who have gone before are there waiting for us. He says, trust, trust him. The second thing he says is to trust in his promises. I am the way, he says, trust me that I will get you in the direction. I will lead you step by step. But I am also the truth. He said, I'm the truth that can get you, that, will, that my promises hold true. He describes it by many rooms. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I've seen what happens. Now, some of the translations have mansions, don't they? That's a bad translation. Really what the picture is, is not that when we get to heaven we get our own little mansion with a garden and a, and a nice little rowing boat at the end. What the picture is, is more the picture that Jesus is using of, of um, Jewish culture. When your son or your daughter, or particularly your son, gets married, what they do is you end up building an annex onto your house. So the houses will get bigger and bigger and bigger. That's what would happen. So my son Michael would go, be an arranged marriage, we would arrange it, there will be a celebration, and then during the, um, during the engagement period is when you build onto the side of our family home. And so we would build a wing and a, a new apartment effectively for him and his bride-to-be. And then they, when it's all finished, that's when you have the wedding ceremony. And then he would come and he would live. And it wouldn't be like open plan, so they'd have their own. But it would be like a, a gradual increase. in. So if he has children, then he would build onto the side of that. And so gradually these houses would get bigger and bigger and bigger. You can see the problem it would have in London, trying to do this, right? But that's how it would gradually grow. And so what Jesus is saying is that in my father's house, he has the house. And because we are brothers and sisters of Christ, co-heirs, he's building on extra rooms for us because we're part of the family. You see the picture that Jesus is giving here. And so when we come into his family, he says, I'm going to build you a room. Because you come under my roof, under my protection, under my house. And so he's saying here, I am the truth. He said, I've been there, I've seen it. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. But I've seen it, I've experienced it. I know what I'm talking about. And so he's saying here that we need to trust, trust in his promises. Jesus has given us many, many promises. Now the problem is when we look at the word promise is that it has so many kind of loose connotations today. I heard about a grandma in Mississippi who was called in to a court in a trial to be a witness. And she was called up as a first witness by the prosecuting attorney. And this elderly grandma came in And she swore on the Bible, and then they asked her, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? The prosecuting attorney asked. 
She responded, why, yes, I do know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a little boy. And quite frankly, you've been rather a big disappointment to me. (laughs) She said, you lie, you cheat on your wife, and you manipulate people and talk about them behind your back. You think you're a big shot when you haven't any brains to realize that you'll never amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher. Yes, I can firmly say I know you. And the the prosecuting attorney was a bit stunned. And so not knowing what else to do, he pointed across the room and said, Mrs. Jones, do you know the defense attorney? Again, she replied, why, yes, I've known Mr. Bradley since he was a youngster too. He's lazy, he's bigoted, and he has a drinking problem. He can't build a normal relationship with anyone. His law practice is one of the worst in the entire state, not to mention he cheated on his wife with three different women. One of them was your wife. Yes, I know him. And the defense attorney's lying there. He's nearly dying. The judge bangs the little gavel, calls them both to the bench, and in a quiet voice says, if either of you idiots ask her if she knows me, I'll send you both to the electric chair. The problem is today that we don't have people that keep promises or tell the truth so much. We're coming up to an election. I don't know if you watched the, uh, the debate with Paxman the other night. A lot of people there in the, in the, I didn't see it all, but I saw some highlights, but people were saying, you made these promises, where are they? You're fast to make all these promises, But where's the results? And then they they don't tend to answer those questions. But we live in a world where people make lots and lots of promises. But we have this kind of feeling within inside of us, well, they're never going to keep it anyway. It's just words. And the danger of that is that when we then kind of get to into the scriptures and we talk about the promises of Jesus, that we come with that same mindset. But Jesus' promises are true. They are promises that you can rest and be secure in your life upon. Now, when we say that, we need to be careful. Because some of Jesus' promises to us are conditional promises. If you look down in uh, chapter 15, verse 7, he says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. That's a conditional promise. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, then you can ask. But if you don't remain in me, in other words, if you don't have this kind of intimacy that he's talking about, if you don't have that kind of level of relationship, if the words of Christ are not walking and not living and breathing inside of you all the time, then don't just go and ask and then blame God when he doesn't give you what you want. That's a conditional promise. He said, you need to do this first. And if you're in that position, then whatever you ask for, it will be in keeping with the will of God, so he will give it to you. There are other promises that are unconditional, where he just says, I'm never going to let you go. I've got you in the palm of my hand. I have promised never to leave you, never forsake you. 
They're unconditional promises. They're not things that, we, that, that are dependent upon us. And we need to be careful when we read Scripture that we don't make the conditional into unconditional. But what we do know is that Jesus' promises are completely trustworthy. He said, I am the truth. What he says is how it goes. He said, let your yes be yes, your no, no. Whatever I say, he says, you can rest on it, rely upon it. It is the truth. And lastly, he says, I'm the life. He brings life to, his, to all the fullness. He says, trust, trust in the person that is Jesus Christ. Trust in him as an individual. Trust in what he's accomplished for us. The things that we could not do. Trust him. Because in verse 6 he says, he is the avenue to the Father. If we know him, we know the Father. No one comes to the Father, he says, except through me. And Christ has done all this for us. Gone to the cross, been separated, died, rose again. That we celebrate at this time of year in particular. We trust in the character and the person And the work of Jesus Christ. And he's standing there saying, you can either accept it or reject it. I've done it anyway. But it's up to you. How are you going to respond? Do you trust me? Do you trust me as a person? Do you trust me because I've demonstrated it and I've gone and died for you? Do you really trust me? Jesus is saying here that the, the way to deal with trouble in our lives is through trust. Trust in the direction that he's leading us. Trust in the promises that he gives to us. And trust in him, in what he's done for us, what he continues to do for us, in who he is. If you go through hard times, it's an opportunity to trust him more. And he calls us to that life of trust. The disciples were in that place. Jesus knew what was going to come. He knew the the difficulty and the challenge that they were going to face. He knew that their whole world was about to fall apart. Because they hadn't yet figured it all out and understood it. And it didn't really make sense to them. But he knew too that in those moments where, where it doesn't make sense. What they needed to do and what we need to do is trust in Jesus Christ. Because he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you that you are the way, the way that we need to live. That you set the direction for us. And it's not just, David, go this way but that you actually come and you lead us step by step. You take us by the hand and you never let us go. And you said, I'm going to bring you. I've already been there, I've seen the end, but I'm going to take you on this journey and I'm going to travel with you. You're our companion, our leader on the way. We thank you that you are the truth too, that your promises are reliable, that your promises are, are ones that will not break. We break promises. But you never do. And so we can rest 
and, and build our lives on that solid foundation that is your word and your promises to us. Because you are the truth. And you are the life. Lord, that you show us yourself that as we trust in you and what you have done for us, so because of that trust, you bring us life in all its fullness. Lord, we thank you for who you are, for what you have done, what you have accomplished. And we thank you, Lord, that you take us and you lead us on this journey until we meet with you face to face. If we are feeling overwhelmed, help us to trust you more. That through that trust, we may be lifted from despair into joy and hope. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.